Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Increasingly these days, people are forging their own paths, taking their destiny into their own hands and pursuing entrepreneurial dreams of owning their own business, creating their own piece of the American pie. On this week's show, we've gathered together a Louisiana-style cornucopia of self-starters who are living the dream. We begin with Alfonso Bolden, CEO of the Cajun Nation Cajun Seasoning Company. While there's no denying his food talents, Alfonso's true genius lies in knowing just when to trademark a name, which for him often precedes the product concept. Seafood City's famed Al Scramuza had a product, but needed to create a market for it. Al shares the story of his early role in today's crawfish craze. Then we visit a marketplace that acts as a local incubator for budding food entrepreneurs when we sample the wares at the Pop-Up on Chop, a weekly maker's market that rouses hosts on Saturdays in their uptown New Orleans store. Louisiana is filled with food-producing genius, and they're all spilling the beans for us on this week's Louisiana Eats. My name is Alfonso Bolden. I'm co-CEO of the Cajun Nation Cajun Seasoning Company based out of Lafayette, Louisiana. Whether you live in Lake Charles, New Orleans or Opelousas, browse the spice aisle at your grocery store and you'll find a sea of seasonings, spices, and blends. Among them, there's one product that's designed to catch your eye, Cajun Nation Cajun Seasoning in a bright red can. Combining a knack for product promotion with an intense work ethic, over the years, co-CEOs and brothers Troy and Alfonso Bolden have transformed their Cajun Nation brand into a thriving business. Along with their signature Cajun seasoning, the company makes sauces and a seafood boil, all which can be found online and in stores across six states. While making it as an entrepreneur can be a tough road, Troy and Alfonso were prepared for the challenge by their upbringing on a working sugar plantation. There, they witnessed their stepfather Merlin's fierce perseverance to succeed, despite having only a third grade education. During that time, they wouldn't work the full year. They would only work really during what they would call grinding, which is really harvesting. I guess three to four months out of the year, he didn't work. And uh, he took it upon himself. He was working in the shop. He drove the tractors and that type of stuff. And he wanted to become a welder. 
you know, the guys would come and repair the uh, equipment at the shop. And he asked one of his bosses or whatever you want to call him if he could do that. And the, the guy discouraged him. But to my stepfather's drive in the evening, he enrolled in a Vortex school and he went and learned how to weld. Eventually, after it was after like five years, you know, towards the end of that fifth year, they just gave him a hard time because they wouldn't allow him to advance. Once you quit the job, you no longer have housing. It's just that we were so blessed that my great grandmother uh, had a house in what is known as Glencoe, Louisiana, and we were able to move there. But it, it was hard. I mean, we could recall the rice man coming down the gravel roads selling a hundred pound sacks of rice. You know, that type of stuff. That rice, that big sack of rice was staying in a corner with a cup in it. And she said, you know, go get me two cups. You know, it's just those. And you think, man, we used to buy a hundred pounds of rice. As a kid growing up in St. Mary Parish, the heart of Acadiana, Alfonso learned to appreciate both the Creole and Cajun food traditions that were part of his everyday life. I'm Creole, you know, but I, I grew up in a Cajun community. My stepdaddy's uh, our grandpa, Pop. Pop was from uh, St. Landry Parish, and uh, he ended up moving to Glencoe, that area. He maintained a herd of uh, pigs, hogs, whatever you want to call them raised sweet potatoes and all that. And I can recall as a kid, just waiting, you know, just to have the cracklings uh, for mom to uh, make the voodoo. Family and friends came together. You saw them, uh, you know, butchering the uh, maybe one or two hogs and uh, sharing the meats for coming out, helping. They, they getting like they would call it, they, they packages. It was, a, it was a real good experience. Following high school, both Alfonso and his brother Troy attended and graduated from the University of New Orleans and would go on to build their careers in Lafayette. Troy's a registered nurse. He works at the VA and he's also he also manages a, a hospital on the weekend in Laplace. And uh, I'm a logistics manager at a global chemical plant in the area. But our passion has always been entrepreneurship. We've been business partners since pre-Katrina, because Troy used to live in uh, on the West Bank, and we started a clothing line in 04. Uh, we released it, uh, then Katrina came, then he relocated to Lafayette, and we just kept creating. One of the things we gathered out of this was the strength of a trademark, the strength of a trademark, and to get that trade, to secure that trademark. So every time we thought about something unique, we would secure it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we had intellectual property. <laughs> Now you skeptics out there might think that sounds like a backwards way to start a business. Come up with the name first, trademark it, then figure out what you're going to sell. But that's exactly what happened. Around eight years before the brothers began blending spices, they got their company name based off of a suggestion from Alfonso's wife, Deborah. It was inspired by the football team, the Ragin' Cajuns of the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. In 2011, UL, the Ragin' Cajuns became real hot. They, they were winning everything. First time they'd done that in a long time, since Jake DeLong. And I'm sitting here one Saturday, my wife walks in. She knew we like, you know, these trademarks. And we had these clothing lines, Southern Bow, Friday, all this good stuff. She walked in, she was like, what you think about Cajun Nation? So it, it kind of stuck. That's when I called Troy. I said, what you think? Troy, he usually doesn't say too much. Next day, you know, he said, man, we trademarking that. 
We don't know we're going to do with it yet. And what ended up happening, we trademarked it and we we're going to do some T-shirts. But at the same time, we formed two communities on Facebook where we just explained the Cajun culture, just from what we saw. And in a short time, we amassed between both pages almost 30,000 followers. If I would post a picture of some cracklings, 1,500 likes. It, got, it, it became a job. And I stopped. we just stopped doing it. We redirected it. Hanging on to the Cajun Nation trademark, several years later, the two brothers invested in a brand new idea, once again given to them from Deborah, Alfonso's wife. Fast forward to 2019, my wife, she had a, a, an episode with her thyroid, so they had to remove them. And then she comes, she started working out again, and she was like, my doctor's saying, I need something low sodium. And she knows me. She said, so won't you make a low sodium seasoning? You know, again, I called Troy. So we talking. I said, look, I'm going to do some research. So I started ordering seasonings from all over online, you know, like the raw seasonings, putting them together, mixing them up. We got the competitor seasoning looking, everybody. Okay contacted the blender. We came up with this blend. They blended it. And the whole premise, the whole strength behind it, that it was low sodium, no MSG, and it still tastes good. And it was like, we just merged the two. Cajun Nation seasoning. And what happened on my personal Facebook page, I got like five, almost 5,000 followers. And I posted on that. In the area we're from, St. Mary Parish, it just went ballistic. Everybody wanted Cajun Nation. And to this day, in those stores in Franklin and Baldwin, it just flies off the shelf. I mean, it's fine. I need five cases. I need 10 cases. Product development and mastery of social media aside, the brothers focused a lot of their energies on branding, which is how they came up with those distinctive red cans. The business relationship that Troy and I even though we brothers have developed over those years, we kind of like freaking frack. We know how to play off each other. We, we, we know the strengths and the weaknesses. Troy is straight business. You know, and when I say straight business, it's like that penny move from here. We need to know why that penny moved. You know, I'm more like a free spirit. I'm, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm an artist by heart. I know how to paint. I just haven't painted in a long time. That's just the way my brain, I, I can come up with the concepts and all that kind of stuff. But Troy is the one that puts it together and... He really studied Coca-Cola and, and, and their customers. And a lot of that, not saying that's what's driving our success or our direction, but a lot is to see how they were able to get people to focus on their brains. And if you look at that can, I, I think there's some similarities. Troy designed that. And Troy's a psychiatric nurse. So he, he, he knows what's going on with the brain. Troy has been doing that for over 25 years. And he said, hey, the red is going to jump out. We want something, a, a logo that's simple and that's gonna stand out. And believe it or not, that can is referred to as the red can. Go get the red can. <laughs> that's go, spelled G-E-A-U-X, of course, one of their slogans. But my personal favorite? You bring the rice, we got the spice. Uh, it stands out and, and, and it's all about a tagline, you know, and uh, you know, from going get the red can, like when the commercial first comes on, you know, go get the red can. You bring the rice, we got the spice, you know. It, it just flows. 
And yesterday I sent that commercial to Chris with uh, Rouses. After that, hey, Alfonso, can y'all call me on Tuesday so we can discuss business? So it, it's those taglines, what we wanted to do, and again, uh, I commend Troy on that. Uh, you want things that's gonna stick, you know, and it just stands out. That was Alfonso Bolden, co-owner of Cajun Nation Cajun Seasoning. Coming up next, we meet New Orleans seafood city icon, Al Scramuza who, like the Bolden brothers, combined his acumen for business and branding to bring about success. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways, Rouse's Markets tastes like home from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. If you watch television in New Orleans from the late 70s to the early 90s, there's a good chance you remember a series of local late-night commercials that played out like this. In a wood-paneled room, a mustachioed doctor in a white lab coat is visited by patients suffering from everything from arthritis to infertility. His prescribed cure for everything... Crawfish. Tell him, dear. Dr. Scamosa, we have been trying to have children for many years. Can you help us? Take this prescription, my dear, for three pounds of crawfish for 15 days. You should have many children. Oh, thank you so much, doctor. Great. Seafood City is a very The business was Seafood City, and the doctor was seafood magnate Al Scramosa. Al's comical and campy TV ads dominated the airwaves for decades, and each of them he wrote, produced, and starred in. But even before his commercials made him a household name, Al was combining his acumen for business and marketing to turn a profit and play a major role in the Mudbug's rise to culinary fame. Hi, this is Al Scabuz. I think most of you guys know me. Stay with Al Scamusa, you'll never be a loser. And I'm famous for crawfish. 
I don't know how many people you know that eat crawfish, but just about everybody that lives in, in Louisiana eat them. However, in 1950, 99% of the people in New Orleans did not know what really crawfish were or are. I'm the guy that brought crawfish to New Orleans. I'm the guy that marketed crawfish. In fact, it was considered then as a trash food. People used it to like catch fish, bait, etc. However, me being a very indigent child growing up, food was hard to get. So help me God, if you ate crawfish then, you were lucky. I got into business in 1949. I got into business in 1950. I had a little old fruit stand in a, a grocery, uh, part of a grocery store, and I sold some fresh seafood, shrimp, crabs, and fish. And we used to sell live chickens, in fact. And a guy came to my facility and had this little pickup truck with about 40 sacks of crawfish, and I said, man, I used to eat those when I was a youngster, like you wouldn't believe. He said, yeah, I know, people are trying to eat them now, but not mostly in the country, the Cajun people. It was from the country, you know, trying to sell them in New Orleans. People didn't want them, they didn't know. And he says, well, he says, uh, why don't you try a few sacks? I says, how much are they? He says, oh, 10 cents a pound. I said, well, how big are the sacks? 40 pounds. I said, you want me to give you $4 for a sack of crawfish? You must be crazy. We used to get those things for nothing. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll leave you 10 sacks here, and if you do not sell them, I'll pick them up. I said, okay, what am I gonna do now to sell these damn crawfish? But I'm gonna find out. So I got two little kids, about 12, 13 years old, one, and we were on Broad Street, very live, live street, a lot of traffic. I tied a crawfish on the end of the string on the fishing pole. And on one side of the neutral ground going east, I had a kid two blocks away. And the other side of the neutral ground going west, two blocks away. So we're catching the traffic both ways. These kids with this fishing pole had these crawfish dangling on it. You know, and people was a really attention getter. Man, what the hell is this? And a little kid would say, down there, Broadview Seafoods. They got these, these crawfish here, they're selling them. And these people were coming from every direction. And they were buying like 10 pounds, 15, 20 pounds. They didn't know what the hell to do with them, but they were buying them. I sold a whole 10 sacks that day. So I called this guy up, I said, hey. I said, tomorrow's Saturday, bring me 20 sacks. He says, no, he says, we don't fish on Saturdays. I said, Monday. Not Monday either. I said, well, when, when do you fish? He says, we start on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. So every week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I'd get the max from him for like the first five or six weeks. And I got tired of this guy not being able to supply me. So one morning, I went. I knew where he lived. I went to his house at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I waited until he got in his truck, and I followed the guy. The guy went to a place called Buy Your Pigeon, and he went to a little corner bar. It was just making daylight. 
And he came out the corner bar, and I said, okay, that's where he's getting his crawfish. I said, fine. So I go down this road, and I see this little old man, little Cajun man. I said, hey, cousin. I said, you fish crawfish? He said, oh, yeah. I said, what about that guy down over there at that barroom down there? Oh, he said, that's my nephew. Yeah, he says, he buy all the crawfish. I said, well, how much he pay y'all? He said, he pays two cents a pound. I said, well, I'll tell you what. You have some relatives that you can get the fish for me and you could, you could buy them from them for two cents a pound? Oh, yeah. I said, well, you go ahead and buy them for them for two cents a pound and I'll give you three cents a pound. <laughs> the American way of life. <laughs> that was the inception of crawfish, here we come. Here crawfish comes. So I was selling these crawfish at the beginning just live. And it got to a point where I'd have some left over and I wasn't able to sell them. So I told my brother, what we're going to do? He says, well, he says, we know how to boil crawfish. We know what spices to put in the crawfish. We know how to season them. Let's go ahead and boil some crawfish when we have some left. So I went to the junkyard and I got four big boilers, the biggest one they had. And put me four burners together and ran the gas. I knew how to do all that. And I started boiling crawfish. And the first crawfish that I boiled, believe it or not, I sold them four pounds for a dollar, 25 cents a pound. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on media. I was on TV all hours of the night, all hours of the day. I was on TV, radio, whatever. I did believe in spending money on media. And I know for a fact that the most important thing you can buy in your life is your name. And that's the reason why I'm successful in everything I do. Well, I wrote a song, and from that song I took the melody, and from that melody I wrote a jingle, and it goes like this. Down in Louisiana where the crawfish grow, there is a new thing that you ought to know. Wow, Scamooza is a crawfish king. Baby, watch him do his a crawfish thing. Doing the crawfish. And it goes like this. And from that came the Seafood City commercial. Seafood City, very pretty. Seafood City, very pretty. Everything is pretty down at Seafood City. Down the road in St. Bernard. Seafood City, 1826. The King of Crawfish, Al Scramuza. In the spring of 2021, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, New Orleanians were robbed of their festival season. No French Quarter Fest, no Jazz Fest, no music in Lafayette Square. Basically, no fun. Another casualty of the canceled festival season were all the food vendors that traditionally frequent these festivals sell their culinary creations. 
Not only were we missing the music, we were missing the food. In an effort to fill this void, Rouse's Markets decided to use the parking lot of their Chapatulis location to host their own weekly festival, the Pop-Up on Chop. I sent producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris over to investigate the fun. All right, uh, well, my name's Tim Acosta with Rouse's Markets. I'm the uh, marketing director for Rouse's, and uh, we're out here at Pop-Up Up Chop here in Uptown New Orleans at our uh, store location at 4500 Chapatula Street. Uh, and we must have at least 20 local vendors that are out here, you know, selling their products. Uh, customers can come in and do their grocery shopping and at the same time visit with their fellow friends and neighbors out here who are trying to get their uh, local food products. People, they, they were going to the festivals and due to COVID, all that's been you know, been on, put on pause for the last year and a half or so. So we decided we can create our own pop-up event to give these folks an opportunity to get their product in front of more people. And if it's successful and they want to go into the next step in their business to get more distribution around the city and further out and around Louisiana, that's how it all started. So we tried to come up with a name on it. And we knew it was a pop-up and we just said, hey, this is called a pop-up at CHOP. Uh, I think initially, well, it had a great response from the very beginning, but initially a lot of people was, wasn't sure what was going on exactly when they were coming in, doing their shopping. They got all the red tents in here. And now I think it's part of their weekend, their weekend routine over here in the city. Hi, my name is Vance Vokasan. I'm with Vokasan Sausage Company, a longtime vendor here in the city at the Jazz Fest and French Quarter Fest. We're out here at Pop-Up at Chop at the corner of Napoleon and, and Chapatulas from 10 to 2. And we're out here selling our famous crawfish sausage and hot sausage po' boys, as well as packaged food products of our sausage that people may want to take home and fest in place at home. Our tagline is, we want to make your mouth feel happy and your tummy say yummy. You heard me. What's the reception been like from customers? Our reception has been wonderful. We've, we've done a lot on social media and other ways to uh, promote that our presence is here. And we've had a number of people to come out here strictly to come get a sandwich or to buy some product. Very thankful for that. But it's been very well received and I think overall it's a, a wonderful opportunity that Rouse's has provided. A lot of these are vendors, are African American vendors, and it's their way of looking at the situation and trying to uh, repair some of what has happened and give us opportunities to come out here. We don't pay any fees to participate. And all the monies that we make go straight to us. And we appreciate that opportunity. And we just want people to come out and patronize us in this particular situation because it is truly something that is a, a, a reparation, you can say. Hey, boss, man. Man, you look like a pickle lover. I'm Jeremy Otis. Uh, I'm one of the owners of Pickle Nola LLC. So we pickle anything walking. We got our original deal pickles, our... Uh, spicy dill pickles, we have pickled beets, pickled carrots, pickled green beans. We do everything from pearl onion to uh, pickled cauliflower to pickled radishes and eggplant, you name it. Oh, and a crowd favorite, pickled okra. Good morning. Hi, I'm Keisha with Element Beverages. Element Beverages are fruit flavored lemonades. They come available in three flavors. A strawberry, pineapple, and a tropical fruit. It's made with all natural ingredients. Element Beverages was established in 2016 by my son, Devin Espadron. He started this company when he was a student at St. Augustine High School. 
uh, Devin passed away in uh, November 2019, and his dad and I are continuing his legacy. How has the pop-up affected your business? How is, how is this going for you? Well, it's been going very good. It has been a nice tool to network with other local vendors here. So I've learned some things about them. They've learned some things about Elements. So it's been very informative, very good. Free sample? You want a free sample? My is Billy Wright. My company is Billy Wright's Manual Style Hot Tamales. I'm, I'm 71. I grew up in New Orleans. I'm seven generations in New Orleans. And uh, I can remember my daddy coming home with four, five, six dozen wrapped in newspaper and spreading them on the, you know, on the table. And the family would come out and eat them around the table on newspaper. Your mom would bring out crackers and iced tea. And that was a tradition uh, for most people my age. What happened was uh, 15 years after Manuals went away from being the top of the food pyramid for 80 years, I wanted some Manuals at Tamales and uh, you couldn't find them anywhere. People said they had Manuals like and went and bought them, ate one, threw them away. And I've been in restaurant business and a cook all my life and I, um, I grew up on Manuals so I knew what I was going for. So you basically deconstructed a manuals from memory. And reconstructed it. And reconstructed it. You want to taste one? Hi, my name is Jessica Davis. I'm the owner of Jesse Sweet Boutique, um, where we specialize in our handcrafted huckabucks and our huckabuck at home kits. We make a ready-to-pour mix that we sell with the cups and the lids, and you can buy it and freeze it at home at your own leisure. Wow. <laughs> I remember making... Huckabucks as a kid, we called them Dixie Cups where That's I was right. from, That's right. and making them from scratch with Kool-Aid. This uh, ain't Kool-Aid. This is the garbage Huckabuck. This ain't Kool-Aid. <laughs> Are people noticing you? Yes, I am doing phenomenal. I sell out every week, thank God. Um, we out here from 10 to 2, but I'm usually sold out about 1, no later than 1.30. Well, tell me about Rouse's. How's the relationship with Rouse's been? I've been out here since March when it first began. I was one of the first vendors. Rouse's has been awesome. They've been very helpful. They've been giving us a lot of education, a lot of resources that we can use to um, manufacture our product in, in larger quantities and just make those connections with people that we normally wouldn't be connected to. There are a lot of execs that come out here to check out our products. So they come out and, and they taste and they, and they kind of get a feel for our product to see how it will fit into Rouse's grand scheme in the grocery stores. What's the next step for you? What, where do you want to go from here? Well, hopefully I want to get my stuff in, in, in every store. I want to be on the shelves, because that's what we talked about. So I want to make sure that that happens. I want to make sure that all of my customers have multiple locations to get our product, because I have a large following. So that's what I'm hoping for. Everything looks so delicious. Yeah. Would you like one? Well, if you will hold my mic for a second, I'm going to try this out. <laughs> I absolutely will. Let's see. Let's see if we can. <laughs> That was a Louisiana Eats postcard from the Pop-Up on Chop, produced by Special Projects Manager Reggie Morris. The Pop-Up on Chop continues to be held every Saturday from 10 until 2, but with the hotter weather, they've moved it indoors. To learn more, visit Rouses.com. How do you go about trademarking your own idea? Stay tuned, and we'll share that info when we come right back.
Poppy Tucker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Louisiana Fish Fry, breadings, boils, new air fry mixes, and more classic Louisiana dishes available everywhere. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, just 40 minutes from New Orleans, Louisiana North Shore's Tammany Taste features the bounty of the bayou and rich culinary culture from award-winning chefs, mom-and-pop restaurants, specialty bakers, and creative mixologists. To discover more, request the Explore the North Shore Inspiration Guide for local stories, custom itineraries, and event information at louisiananorthshore.com. St. Tammany Parish, where New Orleans has come to play and get away for more than a century. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. How do you go about trademarking your own idea? First, it's important to know that registering an internet domain name does not qualify as trademark use. A U.S. trademark identifies goods or services as being from a particular source. The actual mark itself must be a word, phrase, slogan, symbol, or design. Your first step should be to search the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office's Trademark Electronic Search System, also known as TESS, looking for the same or similar trademark to yours. If it's too similar to an existing mark, you could be disqualified. Although complicated, it is possible to do the entire process yourself online. Be advised that Googling how to apply for a trademark results first in many sponsored ads for legal services you may not need. Just go to www.uspto.gov to investigate the process. Everything you need to know is there, including lots of helpful videos which will demystify the process. Doing it yourself will take at least 90 minutes online and cost between $275 and $660. State trademarks are available for less, but don't offer the same legal protection. Several years ago, when a pirate tried to steal our Louisiana Eats name by creating an online business presence in an attempt to extort money, I realized we needed trademark protection. Less than six months later, with the help of an attorney, the trademark for Louisiana Eats was secured. Even with attorney's fees, the costs were under $1,000 and gave us the full protection of the law. I'm Poppy Tooker, and Louisiana Eats is a delicious trademark to own.
Chef Alfred Singleton has always had a supreme passion for food and entrepreneurship. Executive chef and co-owner of Café Sbisa in New Orleans French Quarter, his role in the historic Creole restaurant comes after a lifetime in the business. Born and raised in the Lower Ninth Ward, Alfred spent nights and weekends at his family's poor boy shop, peeling shrimp and paying attention to the details of running a business. His career began in earnest when he took a job as a dishwasher at Baco. So how does a chef with no formal training go from dishwasher to business owner? Alfred shared his story with us beginning at the age of five. Yeah, well, my family owned a small sandwich shop in the Lower Night Ward. It was called Ross Restaurant uh, on the other side of the Industrial Canal. We we did everything from poor boys to Creole favorites, gumbo, etouffees, and, uh, of course, great bread puddings and sweet potato pies and things like that. So a lot of Southern influence inside of that restaurant. What are your earliest memories of being in a restaurant kitchen? Just peeling shrimp and peeling potatoes, helping out, just being a rug rat around the kitchen, <laughs> bothering everybody that was there, but also um, just being real passionate about it, wanting to do it and wanting to uh, be a part of something. At what point did you decide to pursue a life in food? I was a sophomore in high school um, when I actually began my journey in, in the food industry. Um, you know, the first thing I did was I, I walked into Ralph Brennan Baco and I um, I just wanted a job at the at that point, and when I walked into the restaurant, you know they were cleaning a whole salmon, and I was applying for a dishwasher job. And you know immediately, you know when I saw him cleaning a salmon, I was like, I want to do that. You know the the feeling that took over me when I saw that 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 let me know that you know food is my passion and that's what I wanted to do. So from a sophomore in high school, I was always in the kitchen around food and real ambitious about what was happening. And, you know, it just paid off for me. <laughs> well, you didn't go to culinary school. No, you know, you were sort of born into this life. Right. You were at Cafe Sabisa a long time ago. So when did your career there begin? Um, I believe it was 96, 97. I went to Cafe Sabisa. I walked in the door and I was hired. Um, as a Barca f- food runner, I was hired as that. And that's where I actually met Alan Hequis, um, who was uh, the executive chef at Cafe Sabisa. Um, and ironically, about my second or third week there, uh, the guy who was the sous chef at Cafe Sabisa, he decided he didn't want to work there anymore. And, you know, he just went, on, went away. So we were short in the kitchen, and um, I was still a food runner busser and I told Alan I was like man let me let me you know try this let me do this and uh they put me there and and I mean it was like clockwork they were like you're a natural they also they, they didn't call me Alfred they called me Fred and I can hear you <laughs> Fred you're a natural and and you know so they began to work with me and Alan was a instructor at the Culinary Institute in New Orleans uh when it was up on St. Charles Avenue uh for a long time and uh, he saw that in me and decided that uh, he wanted to mentor me. And I told him, I said, I want to go to culinary school and really learn this. He was like, you know, don't waste the money, Fred. Let me 
teach you personally. And he did. I mean, he gave me books and, and that were uh, distributed at the College of Institute of New Orleans. He gave me tests. You know, he quizzed me all the time about certain things and really just mentored me in food and flavors and understanding. The first thing he really did was really taught me how to get around the kitchen. You know, taught me about different pans and spoons and just kitchen staples, the verbiage and the things that I really needed uh, to, to be successful. And they went from one extreme to the next. And, you know, before you know it, you know, I'm creating specials and, and, and doing these things that, and, you know, in my first and second year in the business, which was amazing. So um, I was just real happy to have that opportunity to, to take on that, that challenge and, and have him mentor me. And then you left Cafe Sabisa for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe three years later, I followed Alan uh, to the Red Room on St. Charles Avenue. Um, so I worked with Alan Heckwiss. He called me. He was like, you know, I want you to come up and I want you to be my miniature sous chef. That's what he told me. <laughs> and I was like, man, I don't know nothing about being a sous chef. He's like, you're going to be fine. Trust me. So I went there and the Red Room was a supper club, you know, and it, it turned to like a nightclub after hours and, um, but what was great about that, it was, it was me seeing a different cuisine. You know, I went from Creole to French American kind of Mediterranean cooking. So four years in the business and, you know, I'm already versed in three different cuisines, you know, and, and it just went from there. I mean, that, that was awesome. So I stayed at, uh, the red room for about two years and then I went back to Cafe Sabisa. Craig called me. And he was like, I want you to be my chef. And I'm just like, man, you got to be kidding me. So th- so now you get your first big chef job. Right. And, I, and, and, and listen, I, I, was, I was, if there's another word for frightened, that was me. <laughs> because I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling away from Allen. I'm on my own. So now I need to self-educate. I need to read books. I need to buy books. I used to drive my wife crazy with, you know, the way I was buying cookbooks and, and, and things like that because I just, I knew I had to get it because now it's like, okay, you're at the top. You're the guy. So you have to really, you know, impress and, and, and you have to put your money where your mouth is. Um, it took me a long time to understand the business, the operational side of the business, you know, the numbers and the labor and uh, the food costs and ordering pars. And that's where I had Craig Napoli who who took some time to show me, like, no, you go to them and tell them they need to give you a better price. And if they don't give you a better price, you're going to someone else. And, um, you know, so he helped me along the way with that. So I had the food part of it, but it took me a long time to get the business of it. And um, I'm just glad to say that I... I, I got it. I got it. And the management, you know, yeah. do you see yourself as just being uh, a natural leader? Because you're the lead dog in the kitchen, you know, right. you, you got to be at the head of the team. Well, your personality is everything in the kitchen. And, um, you know, you, you, you really have to know how to manage a ton of personalities because you're going to have people from all walks of life and, um, and, and it took me a long time to get this, you know, about giving people the benefit of the doubt because you never know what they're going through. So my direction is there. When I want something, you know I want it. 
and I don't have to yell. I don't have to throw pots and pans or I don't have to kick trash cans because I, I form relationships with my people. You know, I always tell them whether it's personal or, 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 or professional, you can talk to me about any situation and I'm going to give you the best advice that I can possibly give you. But also, you know, you have to know that I have a job to do and the business won't suffer, you know, for you being a bad apple. And, and, I, and just how we're talking right now, mm. this is how level I am at all times in the kitchen. So now you have your own restaurant. You're a partner in a restaurant. Right. Well, I was um, lucky enough to have been there the evening that you all had your big open house welcome party. Mm-hmm. And I know your parents were there. Yes, yes. And what did they have to say about this? You know, my parents are so proud of what I've done. Um, and, you know, um, I, I've kind of defeated the odds uh, for an African-American male in the city of New Orleans, of course. Um, but you know, my parents have, they've been so supportive and so proud of everything that I've accomplished. And, and I was just so honored to have them. Um, they've never saw me in my element. They've never saw me, you know, as, as a chef owner or, you know, professionally, whenever I'm around, I'm, you know, we're, we're family. So we're all relaxed and things like that. So that was the first time that they've really ever saw me in my element. So I was just so excited, and my mom, she, she's a hard person to please. She she doesn't like much, but what she likes, she likes, and that's it. You know, chicken is her thing. <laughs> chicken, like, any, you do chicken any kind of, chicken and crab. So she always said, man, you, you're cooking that fancy five-star food. I need one-star food. That's what she always <laughs> tells me. I'm like, you have to try something different. So she came in and, and she tried. I mean, she was just so impressed, you know, by the level of service that she received, how warm and welcome the staff made her feel. Um, she never goes and, and writes reviews for anything. And she went and wrote a review. Wow. Like, I mean, but so she was... She was just so impressed and, and you know, they're, they're just so proud of where I've come and how I've grown because I was a troublemaker as a teenager. <laughs> I really was. And, and, you know, nobody really never saw this coming. And I'm just so excited that, you know, I can do something to make my family proud and, um, you know, just kind of um, be different. From 2017, that was Chef Alfred Singleton of Cafe Spisa. After a year of pandemic closures, the historic restaurant reopened in March and is taking reservations. Visit Cafe Spisa NOLA to learn more. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. If you've been dying to experience a real drag brunch, our upcoming Halloween drag brunch extravaganza at Tujac's is sure to be a haunting good time. It takes place on Sunday, October 31st, Halloween Day itself, 
when the quarter will be rocking and the witches will be cackling. Call the restaurant at 504-525-8676 to reserve your party now. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where we have 10 years of Louisiana Eats editions available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. If you like our show, please rate it on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana from semolina wheat and air-dried over rods in wooden cellars. D'Agostino Pasta is made just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlow and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner and producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris and to our business manager and social media maven Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. <laughs>